Welcome back, everybody, to Marlo's Conversations with Friends. And we do these chats, these banters around well-being topics. And the topics relate for me for well-being through mind-body spirit connection, as well as well-being with your community and how you support them and collaboration with community, as well as environment and how we're taking care of our planet Earth. And today's conversation, I am beyond excited to be talking to two individuals who I hold in a very high place. Um, I have known them a long, long time. Um, they are, we're talking about food today, food as well-being on a number of different levels. And Matt and Kim Leonard to me are like supreme beings of food creators and the experience and the fun and um, also some sacredness behind it because their food is, I'm telling you, if you are not present when you are eating their food, you should not be sitting there because it is amazing. Um, so I am thrilled to have them. They are over on the East Coast in North Carolina, right? North Carolina, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, I get the two mixed up, north and south. I shouldn't, but I do. Um, and so I am honored today to be talking about food with two people I really have such respect for and consider to be lovely friends. Uh, Matt and Kim Leonard, welcome today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marlon. Mm, yeah. So uh, for me with food, I love food. I, I mean, I really love food. Uh, I have had an interesting, I, I've always had a great relationship with it. Uh, I've never, uh, I think, I don't want to say I've never had a, um, I have no problem eating it for sure. I've always been very disciplined with it. Uh, but that has more to do with what was going on always with my face and acne and I knew it was happening. Um, but for me with food, what I've really come to focus on for a long time, probably the last maybe 10 years or so, 10, 12 years, is the experience of food and, the ex and really kind of watching people with food and how they eat it or in the industry that I came from nobody having time to eat it. So I would always say, could you just stop snorting the food through your nose? Like, could you just sit still and, right. and really appreciate what you're eating? So today, you know, for me, I want to just have a great conversation around how beautiful food is, what it's like to just sit still with it and, and how that greatly changes the experience you have of food but also to really talk about um, the fun of food and that it doesn't have to be stressful and it doesn't have to be something grand and elaborate when we make it, because it's definitely not always that with me, but yet I love everything that I'm eating. So um, that's kind of the journey where I wanna go and of course some other places as well, but I wanted to start with, um, well, first tell me, I, I should probably have both of you explain a little bit because I did not, 
um, talk to me a little bit about your business, where you're at right now, and um, how, how did you get to be where you are right now? That would be helpful. Great. You want to take that, Kim, or, or should I? Yeah, go ahead. You can take that. <laughs> okay. <one>. All right. <laughs> uh, so we're in, we're in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is uh, in southeastern uh, North Carolina, right on the ocean. And we've been here for about four years, and we have a business called Spoonfed Kitchen and Bake Shop. And we have, it's, it's a little cafe and uh, we have uh, sort of, you know, deli cases where we do fresh salads and side dishes and entrees, um, beautiful pastry cases. And then we do event catering and um, uh, wedding catering as well. So uh, it's really an our origin story in food. And we've been together for about 30 years. Uh, we met working in a restaurant, um, had a kind of whirlwind food romance and have been cooking and entertaining together ever since. So we had a business in the Chicago area uh, that's actually still there in Geneva, Illinois called Movable Feast that we opened in 1999. And it had always been our dream to have our own food business. And um, we opened in 1999 there and sold that business in 2011. And we're super pleased that they're doing great still. And in fact, many of the people that, that work for us still work there including Kim's sister, Carol, who's uh, their pastry chef oh, wow. and uh, other members of, of our family. So that's really gratifying to us to know that, that the business we created is still an important part of the community there. And in fact, the new owners have grown it in directions that we probably you know, may not have, have ever thought of or, or achieved. So we're super happy for, for them and for that whole, whole journey. And uh, when we moved, we wanted to live by the ocean. So we moved to Wilmington and opened Spoon Fed in 2016. So we've been here just a few years, three years uh, with the restaurant and kind of getting, you know, getting used to what's different about food culture down here, which has been fun and interesting. We definitely work with a lot of the local farmers as we did up north. And that's a big part of what we've always been about, just fresh local seasonal foods. Um, and it's been really, you know, interesting and fun to, to learn about the new, the different seasons down here, for example, like mm -hmm. in February, we'll be getting beautiful lettuces, um, you know, things like tomatoes come in way earlier. And then by August and September, when you're getting beautiful tomatoes up north, they're, they're done. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff, you know, that's just a little bit different. And of course, fresh seafood mm -hmm. um, is exciting to be, uh, you know, have access to that. Um, I don't know, am I missing anything, Kim? No, I was just saying when we moved down here, we, we thought we would open just kind of a fun like beach cafe. And we had this tagline that was gonna be just feed your lifestyle. And we thought, well, that'll be for like the yoga crowd. They can come in and get, you know, quinoa bowls and barrel bowls and kombucha on tap. And then we have feed your lifestyle, meaning you can bring, you know, a grandma can bring her grandkids in and have cookies and hot chocolate. So we kind of run the gamut of, of having all of those kinds of people come to our cafe and enjoy themselves. So I think I even posted something yesterday. i had made this really great salad uh, for a group, um, a corporate client of ours that they eat really healthy, but then they had pumpkin pumpkin cupcakes with cream cheese frosting. So, you know, you kind of have the, the duality of <laughs> feeding your body something great so you can go back into your meeting, but you know, there's a little treat at the end too. So, uh, or a sweet. So, um, but yeah, we kind of fit into our community that way. And we just really thought we'd be more of a cafe, but there's um, a huge wedding business down here. It's a very much a destination place. So uh, we kind of landed here thinking we'd be 
you know, just uh, serving breakfast and lunch. And now we're catering lots and lots of parties and weddings. It's, it's been kind of fun. Wow. Yeah. Great, just yeah. And for anybody who's might be listening, who wants to see, um, you know, what we're doing is spoon fed kitchen on Instagram and Kim's an incredible food photographer. So you'll just, I mean, it's super fun to flip through our Instagram feed. If you're a food lover, whether or not you're ever going to come to Wilmington, it's a great feed to follow because Kim's photography is amazing. And uh, there's a lot of beautiful food on there. Yeah, I know because every time Kim, you post when you must get tired of me, I'm like, I love it. Oh my God, can I have this to me? That's why, that's why I'm telling you to come here for the winter. I, I, you know what? We're going to have a separate conversation and yeah. I'm definitely going to tell Stephen, I'm going to just go for like a month and go. work my ass off for these Yep, days. you got it. We got I love it. it. I like, so it was going to bring me to um, kind of, like a couple of things flashed in my head when you were talking about the early days of the movable feast, which I loved so much. But, you know, when we, Kim and I, when we worked in uh, Adveda together and we were at yeah. the Experience Center, but when we were more at the Education Center and you know, I'd bring up, we'd bring in food and I'd bring in this crazy, I don't know why this one sticks out of my head, I'd bring in this crazy concoction of tuna salad for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that, Marlo. That's so uh, do you? Oh, my God. It was like... And the vegan cakes from cakes. that great... Um, yes. What was that vegan... That vegan oh, yeah. Blind Faith is down the street. Yes. The vegan chocolate cupcakes. Yes. Oh, yep. my God. They still have yep. them, and I yep. still devour them. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good. Yeah. I know. Yep. Yeah, nobody so knows fun. that they are, um, and but they're yummy. So, for me, I, um, when you think about your I'm going to call it a love affair with food in general and just the experience of it I I want to ask when your earliest memories of great food really are you know when I think about mm. mine my dad well I have two completely different perspectives my mom was a farm style cooker um, we made meals for at any given time 30 people could show up at our door and we'd have enough food for them always oh, wow. I, I don't, you know, that's just, we just cooked in bulk. We, there were four of us kids at home plus her. My dad was gone most of the time. So we'd have, you know, huge vats of chili sitting outside in winter to stay chilled because it couldn't fit in the fridge or spaghetti with meat sauce for, you know, night upon night or meatloaf. So it's heavy grounding. There was never, veg, vegetarian eating was not something that would ever mm. cross her mind. Mm -hmm. um, my dad, on the other hand, he was a chef for a steel company and his style of cooking, I don't even know where, it wasn't his specialty, I would say, um, but what he cooked for them was a French style cooking and I, I never really tasted much of it. I mean, other than steak, we'd have steaks if we grilled out or he'd bring home some lobster, which I named the lobsters as they went oh, yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a hard time with that still. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then I have my grandma in terms of like her style of cooking. So for you both, what were some of your earliest yummy, great love affair starts of food? Like going, Oh, this is, I can dig this. Yeah, I think the family, like people ask me all the time, was your mom a great cook? And and I would have to hope she's not listening, but I have to say, <laughs> not really. I mean, I don't think she really liked it. 
but I will say that we sat down every night for dinner and it was something that she made. And sometimes it was, you know, I, Matt's heard me say this before, like a frisbee of ground beef on the bottom with a <laughs> can of cream of mushroom soup and then tater tots <laughs> on top, baked, <laughs> you know, with like a jello quote unquote salad <laughs> oh, with marshmallows and, you know, <laughs> yes. and a piece of iceberg. Like that was, that was a typical kind of thing, but we did eat together. And I think that is, you know, missing with a lot of families they Mm -hmm. don't sit down around a table like I would set the table that was my after school job was to make sure the napkins and all the stuff was on I don't know that people eat that way so much anymore as a family Mm -hmm. um but I certainly had like my my grandmother that was from Germany like she did a lot of like canning and they had a big garden um and I think just when my mom grew up, that just, that was kind of convenient cooking was, you were considered, you know, that was, that was easier or better in mm-hmm. some ways than, than um, doing all of that yourself. Like, why right. would I can? I can buy a can, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. And even like my grandmother, she made these like cream cheese butter mints for every wedding at her church, like in these little molds. And it was a lot of work and handmade yeah. and whatever. So she did that. My grandfather had, he made spaghetti and meatballs. That was always a big deal, you know, that he would bring those out to me. So, I mean, I think everybody had their thing a little bit Then you, um, you know, kind of felt attached to your family or whatever, you know, there's, I still would eat that tater tot casserole and, and probably like it because I know. it just reminds me of home. So <laughs> that's probably, you know, kind of how it got started, but I really didn't like, my mom was sort of master of her domain. Like we weren't really allowed in the kitchen. So, um, which is kind of weird, but you know, when I was in college, I started cooking at a little place that's similar to ours. And I tell people all the time, this is like way before Food Network, there was maybe a couple of magazines out, but like grocery stores looked very different. I mean, I'm dating myself, but there was no, no Starbucks. There was no, yeah, you know, everything um, was like we had espresso and, and cappuccino and that wasn't everywhere. Like mm-hmm. unless you'd been to Europe or had a, an Italian grandma or something like people didn't know what that was. Um, even really basic cheeses and prosciutto and pine nuts and things like that. That was kind of back in the eighties, but, um, people really didn't know what that was. So, um, to, to be working in kitchens then was kind of, you know, exciting. I mean, really silver palette had just started. Martha Stewart was just starting. Mm-hmm. So you really didn't have all this like kind of food culture where now you can't, you know, this cooking competitions and shows and right. even just, uh, you know, magazines, my God, there's a hundred, right you know, I don't I subscribe to half of them but um, but you know there's all sorts of places that you can not to mention like Pinterest and online and all that so mm-hmm. anyway blogs and things like that but it was um so it was kind of cool to be at the start of it I think but yeah, yeah that is exciting I, I love that yeah. well it also brought mm-hmm. up um I know Matt you'll share I brought up my mom's liver luncheons liver and onion luncheon oh good lord yeah Ooh, good we would have a neighbor bring that over for my dad my mom didn't do that but we had a neighbor that cooked it and like every other tuesday or whatever uh-huh. she'd bring my dad a plate of liver and onions i was like oh how about it no we my had dad, to... my dad loves it too i think <gasps> it's a dad it's a it's a dad thing does he still yeah. eat it oh yeah oh man yeah, yeah he loves it yeah yeah and then you start thinking about what a liver actually does. And I'm like, I don't want to eat that. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, I love, ch- I can do pate for some reason because. Yeah, yeah I know, can too. I liver, actually, I've been learning more about the liver lately and it's, it gets a bad rap. People think it's like just a filter, but it's not really. And in fact, it's, it's a, one of the main control centers of your whole endocrine system. Oh yeah. And uh, I've been, been fascinating learning more about it. So now I'm thinking maybe I, I should 
give it another taste and well, see. Well, I like your pâtés. I'll be all for you making pâté, but okay. I'm not doing liver and onions. <laughs> Just saying. Well, and what an animal's liver is going through, a proper farm-raised, pasture-raised animal's liver is going through versus you're not going to eat. We're yeah. not cannibals. So Always grass-fed. Yeah, quite different experience. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. Matt, was, what was yours like? What was your level? So, affair? yeah, I mean, I'm... It, my personality is definitely kind of driven by curiosity. So one of the first food memories I have is when I was, I think I was five or either four or five, something like that. But I asked for a, like a frying pan for Christmas because <laughs> I wanted to make my own eggs. Mm. I saw mom and dad like making the eggs and I was like, I want to do that. But for some reason I wanted to have my own frying pan to do it. I need my own, my own gear, Nice. which actually that, that, yeah, that also is sense. now that's, yeah, totally yeah, that's another, <laughs> another character in my personality um, driven by Lots curiosity gear. and gear. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. Cooking my own eggs. And when I was young, I remember that. And then we had for sure this, a similar story with uh, gardening. My parents always had a big garden. So we would be sitting, you know, outside eating green beans off the vine and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, preserving, uh, my grandparents on both sides had their own different food traditions. Um, particularly, I kind of connected with my mom's side of the family, which were all Estonian. And so they had, um, you know, my grandma made these uh, Estonian pancakes that I still make, you know, to this day. Mm, um, that was always a, a traditional food we would have. But um, then things like, you know, smoked fish and all the kind of preserving techniques and things that they would do in the old country um, that they brought with them when they came to America. Uh, so definitely um, whole food, fresh food and eating together, like Kim said, I think that's such a huge part of it. Um, and eating intentionally, that, that was part of our upbringing for sure. Um, and we had some you know, it's not like I didn't eat some SpaghettiOs and, you know, processed foods green snuck in there, but oh, we did have, yeah, green Kool-Aid. I used to live sure. on that. Um, when I met you. <laughs> but we, yeah, yeah, but we definitely had a lot of the, the whole food experiences as well. And that, you know, the origin of the food, food coming out of the garden and then getting prepared, you know, and, and coming to, to sitting down at the table to something that you knew where it came from. And that was always you know, I noticed that my grandparents actually on my mom's side lived in Toronto as well. So we used to go up there to visit them often. And they, uh, there's an incredible market there called the St. Lawrence market. Mm. And I remember that as well from a young age, like just walking around, like fascinated and wide eyed looking at all the different foods and they'd have, you know, whole pigs hanging and, mm -hmm. you know, every type of food you can imagine and cheeses and definitely more of a European influence um, but again, you, you, it's real food and you can see the origin of everything. I think that was really impactful for me. Will yeah. you tell Marlo about Rosolia? <laughs> sure. Yeah, actually this is, uh, it's my I mean, favorite. Marlo, do you remember Spice and Easy in I Glen Ellen? Yeah. I that was like where Kim and I met. We were both working there. So it was a cafe again, okay. similar to our business. Um, and we met there in 1990 and I just had come back um, from, I was, used to work on boats and I got to travel around Europe doing that. So that was great, but that was also really influential for me, you know, spending time over there and seeing all the different foods and how they 
eat. And, and when I came back from this particular trip, I decided I wanted to start to learn how to cook. And so I got a job at this, you know, cafe as a prep cook at Spice and Easy. And that's where Kim worked. So that's where we met. Mm. I was 19 and she was 24, I think. So, um, so, you know, not long into my working there, um, <laughs> the owner asked, uh, you know, all of us in the kitchen to come up with some, you know, salad ideas. They needed some new, new fresh ideas. So I was like, oh, my, my family makes this amazing potato salad called Rosolia. And they're like, yeah, go ahead and make it. And so, and, but what Rosolia is totally normal to me, but what it actually is, is it's a potato salad, like, you know, boiled and, and cubed potatoes, but then it has pickles. And then in the old country, it would have had like smoked ham, but because my grandparents came out of Estonia after World War II. So they were kind of, um, they lived in um, a Red Cross camp for several years. And so they had been introduced to spam. Oh God. And so my grandma always <laughs> yeah. made it with spam. So oh, it wow. had, and she would have insisted that it had to have spam. You couldn't put ham in it. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So it was potatoes and spam and pickles. And then you put, <laughs> Oh yeah, boiled eggs, and then you put cubed up beets in it. So then you mix it up, and the whole thing turns this bright pink color. Oh my god, this and, is. <laughs> and again, again, like we make this to this day. Like my mom yogurt. makes it every time my mom <laughs> it's comes. It's my favorite thing. It's so delicious. She makes it. It's really, really good. But it is this like insane, obnoxious pink color. And so I made this. What ended up, and you know, especially when you're new at Easy. cooking, oh. you know, things tend to grow. <laughs> You know, if you're trying to make something, and I made this massive batch of Brazilian. It was it was ridiculous, pounds. and we put it in the deli case, and no one bought any of it. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, it was, it was so sad. Um, yeah. And I was embarrassed. It was like but I was yogurt on potatoes. It was so normal to me. I didn't think yeah. anything of it until you know much later. And I think Kim even had to like point it out to me that like this is weird for other people. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway it's, it is really good though but it did it was not a big seller at spice and easy oh in uh, 1990 That's, so or 91 is, whatever that would have been mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's uh to to tag on to the whole sit down the family experience that was my mom a great cook it's you know to your point kim uh she was okay you know but she cooked what uh kind of got passed down from her mom and, and like I said what was farm style cooking but you know we lived in the city um in Milwaukee and when industrialized food started coming around more uh, I think it was very fascinating to us even though we still had our main we always had to sit at the table for sure that was a given like you just and if you didn't like what you were eating you had to sit there till it was cold <laughs> still eat it oh yeah well I'd be like I'd have my, my mom did that with dessert she did that with rice pudding but god oh. I hated it when I was a kid I love it now but when I was a kid I hated it we'd be crying and she that oh. cleaned up the kitchen and it was like she didn't care that was it like yeah. we, we had to eat the rice pudding like it was you know anyway that was oh yeah I, I can yeah. you know plug I had a glass of milk with the liver I would plug take a plug my nose, put the liver in my mouth, take a swig of milk and tilt yeah, my head and back milk. until milk it was at every meal, right? <laughs> yes, until it's sitting there in like the the depth of my throat so I could just swallow it in one fell swoop. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is the worst, oh, no. worst experience ever. Oh yeah, I could eat liver pate till I was green. But the ironic thing about liver is that when um 
Stephen and I, my husband went to Paris in 1998. I had to do the translation because I was the only one who knew French between us. And I don't, I mean, I know enough to get into trouble. And then I'm like, mm, you might want to slow down because I don't know, understand anything. You're saying. <laughs> Batting my eyelashes gets me to a certain point And then that's it. <laughs> so we go to this restaurant overlooking Luxembourg Gardens and I asked the waiter, can you just re-clarify, like just re-explain what I'm ordering, like just tell me. And he's waving his hands at his chest area. Like now I know what he was doing is he was waving to his liver, but I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that. And he's like, just kind of moving his hands in a circular motion. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great, veal. Cause I thought I was ordering veal. And it comes out and it's this huge slab of like, oh, you were like, oh, where's my glass of milk? <laughs> I didn't know yet until I took the first bite because then it had like garlic potatoes beside it and then the slab of liver. And I'm looking at it going, well, this is an interesting cut of veal. And I cut into it and I just started swearing. I was so mad. I was like, I am 3,000 miles from my mother. And how is it that <laughs> liver in the city yeah. that I love, you know? So, um, and I do actually miss some of the stuff that she used to cook, but um, what I was getting to with industrialized food is it turned on a whole new experience with food that I think uh, called instant gratification uh, to, to simplify it, that I think still exists today. And I think mm -hmm. for me, um, not only being someone who's passionate about teaching about food and seasonal eating and environmental eating um, and health, but really uh, pointing out that when industrialized, uh, industrialized food came into the picture in the 50s and prior to that, but really full on in the 50s, that whole, I feel like we lost, started to really lose, I think it was a slow, gradual, and then all of a sudden loss of this experience with food that I think very slowly people are coming back around to. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot out there now for people to see. So I think, um, you know, like I, I'm always surprised when we sit down with brides and grooms and they talk about the things they like to cook at home. I mean, I know how I am. I cook all day or with food all day. And Matt and I really cook pretty much every night. We, I mean, rarely, I mean, occasionally we go out or we have some of our favorite places, but um, sometimes it's simple where he'll grill something and I make some salads, you know, or whatever, but some days it's, it's really not like when I'm off on Mondays and Tuesdays, I really kind of sink in and I have a thousand cookbooks still, Marlo, you'll be happy to know. Oh, yay. Um, so, <laughs> um, I've definitely increased my, my, um, collection, but, um, yeah, I mean, I take a lot, I, I love reading them, you know, I love to kind of think about how I maybe change things and I like to, to going to market I like to sink into those days and I know that I'm going to bake or make something so um, sometimes it takes hours and hours and it only takes us 10 minutes to eat it but I really do you know it's more of a therapy it's definitely a meditation for me you know not every day but a lot of times you know yeah absolutely I think uh, two things came to mind uh, and one appeals I think one appeals to both of you. The two documentaries that I watched uh, earlier this year, um, and it'll kind of bring me around to this next area that I want to talk about is, uh, the first documentary was by um, Michael Pollan, Cooked. 
where mm -hmm. he takes you through the four elements, the four earth, the four elemental earth elements, fire, water, air, and earth, and how the elements uh, play a role in how we cook and, and how the elements played a role in the evolution of food from the beginning of time uh, until now. And in fact, that's why I'm so mad I see the Michael Pollan side. I could totally see that in you because it's very science-based and I think it would appeal to you if you haven't already seen it. Yeah, we have, I haven't seen it, but- uh, I have not seen I'll that one either. It on my list I'll, I'll sure. it oh, yeah, it's yeah. really good, fascinating. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. the mm -hmm. stuff I, uh, a lot of stuff I knew, but uh, a lot of stuff I didn't, but it was really fascinating the approach he takes to it. And then the other one, which I totally fell in love with was um, salt, fat, acid, heat. I love it. Oh my gosh, yeah, I've watched, watched it several times. I love yeah. her. Uh, yeah, I want to be her best friend. I really I do. do too. Mm -hmm. I do too. Mm -hmm. But I think both perspectives are are necessary for people to to see because they bring two different aspects into it. One is truly how you're using a specific element to create your food or to create a taste or to um, like in air. He really goes in deep uh, about bread making and hmm. the transformation that happens with it. And uh, old, he's over in um, uh, like uh, Iran and, and Israel and the types of breads that they're making. And it's fascinating. Wow, you know, like with, yeah, is that great. like wild yeast or something or? Just uh, mm -hmm. forgive me if I don't remember what it no, was. No, it's okay. Um, no, we'll just watch the it. Process, yeah, uh, just the process of and then how water plays a role and um, what did he do on that one? Um, well, Matt's been since the, you know, the last six months, eight months, whatever. I mean, you, you've baked a lot of bread, Matt. I have, yeah. He has a lot of sourdough. Yeah. We have lots of notes with all, well, I'll let you talk <laughs> to that because it's definitely your thing. Yeah, just getting into, um, so I got into sourdough baking a long time ago and then I kind of dabbled in it uh, sometimes, but I did get back into it recently. Um, with quarantine and everything, it was fun. And I noticed a lot of people were getting into baking sourdough, mm -hmm. which is cool. Cause it is a very, um, you know, you're participating in the process. Whenever I talk about baking and especially sourdough baking, um, you're in a relationship with mm -hmm. the bread and the, with the dough you make and the, and particularly the, the fermenting aspect, the bacteria, and you can't make them do anything that they don't want to do or they're not ready to do so there's time and temperature and you can affect how things rise or how quickly or how slowly to get different aspects but it's really a living thing that's that's happening and uh it becomes kind of a fun dance with the natural world in that way if you if you think about it that way mm -hmm. yeah and it's yeah it's it's really fun and that's the kind of rewarding part to me and it, when things turn out really well you're you're excited but you can't take all the credit <laughs> right but i think there's definitely there's people who are i've been watching people make bread as well and a good friend of mine uh has been make wasn't making it for still is and delivering much of it there's people who are good at it and then there's people who i say this is a lovely doorstop just like i tell my beginner potters i'm like <laughs> this is the first class you're gonna go through you're gonna make a doorstop today just gonna tell you mm -hmm. even though that's not what we're making it's going to be a doorstop. And that's what some of those loaves end up being like for first time bakers, which is expected. I get that. Um, 
but to the salt fat acid heat the the what i was truly engrossed in on that side was really understanding the simplicity understanding what those four ingredients bring to a dish of course mm -hmm. um but the simplicity of flavors which uh i'm a person you know don't get me wrong i certainly love complex flavors and um i'm never going to turn away most food but I also really enjoy simple, fresh flavors, simple, not necessarily a simple dish, but just simple flavors that work off each other and that aren't that complicated to put together. Mm -hmm. And well, yeah, I think yeah. that's, uh, I, I eat that way as well um, when left to my own devices, but I think that could play into um, our mutual heritage in that the kind of Nordic region, because mm -hmm. the foods there, I mean, I'm fascinated by um, what I would call like culinary genealogy or your, your, you know, we all have a heritage and it's kind of different now because people are getting, uh, our heritage is, is mixed often. Like I was saying, I have this Estonian side to my family, but then my father's side of the family is part German and part Sicilian. Mm -hmm. And so you have these different, uh, influences of these different cuisines um and also how your body might you know react to different foods and what you really should be eating from a nutritional standpoint mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's part of everyone's individual and unique journey with food um but just from a taste perspective what you like and don't like you know the foods that obviously if for thousands of years your ancestors evolved eating a certain type of food that type of food's probably going to taste pretty good to you do you find that uh, on that to tag on that? Um, and as I said, I'm a I'm a passionate environmentalist, so I'm I'm a huge proponent of the farmers markets. So I teach a lot and talk a lot about seasonal eating. And you brought that up earlier, Matt, that where you guys are, your seasons are now different than what we have up here in the Chicago area. Um, do you? For me, I feel it's really important that people understand seasonal eating, why you're eating with the seasons and what mother nature's providing for you, but also eating what, what is within your region because part of industrialization and part of the growth of, of the global economy was you can have pretty much anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. So you mm -hmm. could be in Japan, but you could have that Midwestern cheddar cheese you know, or you could be here in Chicago and I could have that New Zealand kiwi, or I could have these rare fruits from Thailand, whatever. And to me, I believe that um, though that's lovely, I don't really believe it's in tune with what your body needs based on where you tend to, where you're living and what your region is. Um, designed to grow do you yeah how do you both feel around that well first yeah. of all like the, the local food is going to be picked closer to when it's truly ripe and has the highest nutrient density so that's a fantastic argument to eat locally um so you're not getting something that was picked underripe without 
nutrients developed and then it you know shipped was shipped who knows could take in weeks to even months sometimes for the food to get where it's going plus you add the carbon footprint to that transportation aspect um and just the the joy factor of eating something that's fresh and local and beautiful mm-hmm. and those are all great reasons to eat seasonally and locally um it is a you know interesting to think about like i was saying your your specific your personal genealogy um and maybe identifying foods that that you're going to thrive on or that being a clue to to finding foods that you might thrive on but eating locally you know may not may not fit into that all the time mm-hmm. um and if i was asked to choose i would choose eating locally for sure mm-hmm. over trying to you know chase some foods from my ancestors or or you know from some other culture for sure yeah i mean i don't uh well kim tell me your thoughts no yeah i mean i i i've, I've read several books of you know kind of couples that that commit to doing you know 50 mile radius like foods or whatever and mm-hmm. um and i and while i understand it and we support a lot a lot of local farmers and there's there's nothing like that i mean i'm glad we love avocados and I like mm-hmm. banana bread and so right. I mean I guess you know there's there's things that I'm, I'm willing to say I still want this or that mm-hmm. um, I mean I think that is the fun part of like like Matt said about moving here there's like fish I've never heard of mm-hmm. we've been turned down to like sheep's head fish which we love and things like that so that's kind of the fun part is as food being a journey or what have you but um but yeah, I mean, obviously, I think going to farmers markets and supporting all those hardworking people. I mean, we just had a delivery 15 minutes before we um, got on this phone, this uh, you know, interview with you. And yeah, I mean, this guy's working hard and he knows what's what the weather is, and he's tried all sorts of things. And it's been fun to kind of hear about the journeys of the, the two farmers in particular that we work like with. Now, one grows hemp and does hemp, uh, you know, CBD oil that's organic and virgin pressed, you know, by his uh, crew at his farm. And so they've kind of gone into that. And then, you know, this other gentleman grows mushrooms and things like that. So it's kind of been fun to vicariously live the life of a farmer, uh, mm-hmm. definitely vicariously, because they know how hard they work. But, um, you know, those are greens and turnips and, you know, so being a, a caterer, you know, we have to kind of count on things. So sometimes that's a little hard when if we have a lot of rain or something like that, then you're not able to get what you need locally. So yeah. um, you have to supplement. But, but yeah, certainly there's nothing like having a face to the person that is bringing your food to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's, there is a happy medium. I mean, kind of when I talk about it to people, I'll say, okay, do the best you can to get what you can locally. Yeah. And I, to your point, Matt, I don't know that I'm going to focus on eating German or Irish foods always. And that for me, that's not necessarily as important as it is for me to stick to what's hanging out as best I can in my region through the seasons. And with it, what I tell people is just do the best you can. If you love, mm-hmm. like if you can, if there's some things in your food pantry and fridge that you really love that may not be local, i.e. bananas or avocados or pineapple for that matter, uh, okay, make an exception. The goal for me is like how much can you, you know, bring it down to, to savor and understand what's in your region because there's so much fascinating things. Mm-hmm. Um, like just the one farmer I get at the market, the number of potatoes. I'm like, 
I didn't even know that many exist or apples yeah. too, for that matter. Right. You know, right. I love apples and I've read a number of books in the history of apples and there, there's so many lost varieties, but so thinking about that, like when I, um, when I do my small little dinner parties, very different from your big catering things, but even when you cook dinner with your family and friends, um, I am a fan of an experience of right. creating an experience. And I think I learned that from the book Chocolat. No, no, sorry. Um, like Water for Chocolate. Oh, yeah. Um, we just watched that. We just watched the movie. I love the book too, oh, but yeah, so we good. just did. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And understanding that your energy wherever you're at. So if you're super stressed out, it's going to go back into your food and it's going to come out yep. in the food. And I can attest to that for my Christmas meal this past Christmas <laughs> with my family. I was really nervous and anxious about them coming. I haven't had them at my house for many years. Um, I'll leave all my reasons off of this call. Um, but uh, I could tell, you know, everything that I made, it was nothing new or different than I had ever made before. But the end result, I was like, this shit sucks. This is gross. Aww. I can't even believe this tastes like this. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster. You probably couldn't, you probably couldn't taste though. Cause I know when I have anxiety, Matt can attest, I don't taste. I can't oh. taste well. Oh, that's so you might've tasted really great, but yeah. 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 I never like thought I about had, that. Yeah. yeah they might not have be, noticed. Yep. <laughs> or they just didn't care they were going to eat it and be like let's just get out of here i don't know <laughs> oh no i think it it might no, be it fine. might bend your tasters if you had the anxiety about it um so do, you know it's important for me that people have this journey of food you know when they come for dinner uh from the starters all the way to the dessert do you do you cook like that do you think about that yeah, yeah. definitely I mean, I, I mean i just, think that's like yeah I was, say, like, I was in, had an art background while I was cooking, I was going to art school. So to me, I've always thought of food as like a real process. You know, mm -hmm. um, I was a weaver. Um, I was a textile major in school and, you know, we'd get big bags of like dirty wool in and we'd have to wash it and comb it, um, you know, uh, spin it, color it, mm -hmm. um, dye it. Um, anyway, uh, so it was a big process to get from this kind of you know, wool that was covered in dirt and, and um, leaves and things like that to this like beautiful piece that you put on a loom. And mm -hmm. I feel like food's the same way, not maybe quite so many steps because sometimes nothing's better than a sliced tomato or something very simple. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I like all the steps and you're thinking about color and texture and like you would a piece of art. You know, you're thinking of all those things coming together on a plate, um, even if it is simple. So um, yeah, I guess that's, how I see it as a I guess that kind of journey too you mm -hmm. know yeah and I absolutely see it in your dishes because those mm -hmm. photos I'm like yeah right now I'll, I'll be mm -hmm. <laughs> you're cute <laughs> yeah yeah Yeah, that's I, I think intention is you know it starts with thinking about what ingredients what you're going to make what ingredients are available and obviously that plays into that like if you're going to have this whole experience going to the farmer's market, finding some really beautiful food or growing it yourself. And then coming up with an idea, a recipe, preparing it, and then sitting down to eat with intention with people that you care about. That's the ultimate, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. process. If you can, mm -hmm. um, if you can pull it off and we all can't do that every day, right? but we can do parts of it. And even if, 
you don't have like if you sit down like one of the things that my friends always make fun of me because if i sit down to eat i always smell my plate of food i do too and i i yes i think we learned that from wasn't that in diane ackerman's book um the natural history natural of the history senses, of the senses. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a phenomenal yeah. book but i don't remember at some point uh yeah you do i you know picked it up that and you can you notice if you just take a second take a big you know inhalation your mouth will start to water and that whole process is your your body's preparing to like receive those nutrients of course mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. you know saliva is has enzyme then it's the first stage of breaking down your food and and receiving the nutrients and so just taking that second you know or a couple seconds to smell your food maybe think some thoughts of gratitude you know about where the food came from or or whatever works for you and then but but you'll notice that your body's getting prepared to um to eat yeah and absolutely i agree with that so uh, that's um yeah it's it can be as little as, as small as that if you don't have time to to go through that whole process you can fit in little bits of it whether that's just picking one ingredient that's local and and is you know something special or even just taking that moment of gratitude before you eat and I also think, uh, I mentioned this earlier, uh, and then I'll kind of start to bring our conversation to a close, because I know you all have a busy, a busy food life um, and life in general. Um, the whole being present for food, you know, just, Kim, you said sitting at the table with your family always, and you still do that. Uh, we do the same thing here. and. Uh, getting people to slow down, even if they only have 10 minutes to eat, you know, that's mm -hmm. their break time, but to really sit there for 10 minutes and not do anything else, but sit and eat and taste and experience the food. And that's for me, a lot about what I teach with relationship with food is it, are you eating under stress? Are you eating is, is food a reaction to your stress? You know, how do you treat food? Is it instant gratification for you in a processed form? Uh, do you know what it feels like to just sit and eat an apple and chew it? Do you, can you really appreciate the taste of just what an apple tastes like without anything on it? Mm -hmm. um, and I think for me, that's an important aspect that I, as we move forward, and I hope that maybe during this downtime or inward time of COVID, people, I know people were cooking out the yin-yang because they had to, uh, to really come to understand uh, the preparation, the intention that goes in it, but the appreciation of what food tastes like, you know, mm -hmm. versus just mindlessly going through it because you're sitting on the phone or you're in front of a TV or you're, you mm -hmm. know, whatever. Yeah, you're just eating because you're hungry or something as opposed to, yeah, I mean, I know Matt thinks more about like the nutri nutritive part of food. I mean, I certainly do too. And, and I try to understand like, how do I feel if I eat XYZ or if I eat this much of XYZ? Mm -hmm. um, do I feel bad or worse? Can I go back to work? Can I, what does, you know, what does that feel like? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think most people kind of do that. You know, they're kind of aware that they've had two baskets of chips before they realize they don't feel good either. <laughs> That's, I've been there. I could say right. that, um, you know, because it tastes good or whatever. But um, yeah, I think eating for different reasons, um, you know, we, we, we've seen that certainly, you know, through the last six months or different times where people do want that comfort. And I think people do, it does bring people together. Mm -hmm. 
you know, sometimes under duress, but I, you know, I mean, we certainly are lucky enough that we get to celebrate with people. And the last six months has been kind of strange. We started slowly doing weddings where it's like smaller groups of people, but last weekend we did a memorial service and it was kind of a social distance, you know, individual boxes of snacks, but people want to come together. Mm -hmm. um, even if they have to sit you know, spread out all over a lawn and share food. So mm -hmm. they're not even a, a allowed to be around a table yet, but it's still that drive to celebrate the passages of, you know, people's lives and time. So, mm -hmm. you know, food's usually at the center of that. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think, um, I think when I think about food, I, th I want people to, uh, after listening to this chat, which I loved uh, everywhere we went with it, to take time to, to reflect and look upon food in a different way and uh, find a greater appreciation for it if they don't already have one, but to maybe just shift their perspective around it and um, try new things that might be different, but even try cooking different things that they step them out of their comfort zone or mm -hmm. go to a farmer's market and experience and see what's there. Yeah. There's plenty of ugly fruit there. There's plenty of beautiful fruit there. You know what I mean? It's um, to shift a little bit in, in how something that we truly, I think, take for granted right now right. for so long. Um, we always have people that, you know, because we cook and have cooked for a long time that, you know, oh, I never could have you to my house. I could never cook for you. And like Matt and I both say, like, I, you know, you could scramble me eggs and make me a piece of toast and I'm going to enjoy it, you know, because mm -hmm. it is made by somebody else's hand or, you mm -hmm. know, so I think having those a few things in your repertoire of things that you're comfortable making. And then, like you said, when you go to the farmer's market, you can put a riff on that. You know, if you make a certain pasta dish, but then you see some, new cheeses that you might like or add sausage to it or whatever it is. I mean, you can kind of riff on things that you know you can make or like to make, um, but be open to adding broccolini or whatever, you know, to something. So um, I think that's the fun part is to kind of go with an open mind, not necessarily, I know I want to get this, but be open to exploring other things too, what, what, whether you go to the grocery store or farmer's market or what have you. Yeah, and I think to um, inviting your kids to, I mean, I know mm -hmm. your daughter Tizzy has been in it since day one, and we were in our house in the kitchen all the time. My mom made us help her with dinner and stuff, which I'm grateful for, because uh, I certainly, pay, I use a paring knife in, in a way that one of my other friends is beyond fearful of, and she cringes <laughs> every time she sees me use it, and I'm just like flicking through it, you know, like my yeah. grandkids. Um, but I think it, bringing your kids into it, and making it this experience and mm -hmm. uh, I think helps would help uh, if it if people aren't doing it already to, to create a different relationship with each other but to create a different relationship with food and to yeah. educate where it comes from and what does it look like when it's cooked this way or processed that way or um, and that's yeah, one of the things. The, ha the hands-on thing is good for kids. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. man. Go ahead. Yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, we touched on you know all being forced to eat things, or I don't. I don't think I spoke mm -hmm. to that when you guys were talking about, it, but I definitely was in that camp um, <laughs> as well. And um, you know, I remember sitting 
younger than five because I wasn't in my, I wasn't curious about food yet, I guess, but sitting in, in front of something long after everyone had left the table. And um, we definitely didn't do that with our daughter. She, um, you know, we never forced her to eat things that, that she didn't want to eat, but we also presented her with a lot of different foods and like she would eat mussels when she was three years old. She would eat salmon sushi, um, you know, when she was, from when she was just, you she know. She loves Brussels sprouts. Whenever she would, you know, had teeth. So um, we definitely didn't cook special meals for her. And I feel like, I feel like people have swung where our parents were trying to force us to eat all this stuff that we didn't want to eat. Um, people swung to the opposite side of that where they're coddling, you know, and, and, making their kids chicken nuggets or whatever thing mm -hmm. that they think the kid will eat. Um, and we did definitely did not do that. We just presented the food that we were eating and she ate the things that she liked and, you know, didn't eat other things. Um, but I think that's important to don't, don't assume your kids aren't going to eat something just, you know, put the food out there and the kid kids will try things and um, hopefully develop their own, diverse palate but assuming that kids aren't gonna you know want to try some new flavor is probably not, not yeah. the way to go i hated brussels sprouts growing up but i love them now um yeah for sure i think Same, the other because I, I think it's the preparation like my mom boiled them to death you yes. know and now when you like roast them with some bacon <laughs> and balsamic vinegar or whatever you know yeah, yeah. or i don't even have to have bacon really but <laughs> yeah yeah it's a whole different whole different experience game. yeah and i think um probably one of the biggest things that you know crosses so many people across this country are and, and why industrialized food has gotten to the level that it's gotten is the economic status of so many people. And so I yeah. can, we can sit here and talk about the glory of food and, you know, the beauty of it and the tasting and the farmer's markets and this and that. And till we want, um, there are so many individuals who just don't, who, who have so little to get by on. So what they, what their dollar gets them is going to be, a lot of industrialized food or processed mm -hmm. food or stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, even to those individuals who are in that space, I still challenge anyone to find some way to bring real food into your kitchen and to try one step at a time to move closer towards more real food in the, in your, mm -hmm. on your plate because it will create longevity for you and the health of your family and because it will completely open up your taste buds to a world that is unreal and an appreciation and, a, and just a totally different energy around the experience when we sit down to eat. Right. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of education on that. That would be something I, I think would be great to, you know, teach people you know, for a bag of lentils or something, it's mm -hmm. going to be, you know, less than a loaf of, you know, processed white bread or whatever. And mm -hmm. like the nutrition, you know, difference is completely different or like where we lived in, we lived in Detroit before we moved here for a few years. And 
they had 1200 urban gardens, you know, they really were kind of, again, it's a city that's under kind of construction and they're re redoing the whole thing, but it was kind of fun to see all of, all of those things happening in, you know, kind of underserved neighborhoods that mm -hmm. are, I mean, they were urban gardens. They were, it was mm -hmm. kind of fascinating to draw, you know, they used to do this thing called a slow ride, which was mm -hmm. people got on their bikes and would would go look at different things on Detroit. Didn't they have like hundreds of people show up, Matt, for those? Yeah, they and did. They did. Yeah, and one was through the Urban Gardens, and we didn't go to that one, but I would have liked to have. But you know, that was when you went to their big market. What's that market called? I kind of. Oh gosh, uh, the Eastern Market. Eastern Market, yeah. Yep. There were a lot of like urban gardeners that you know came and sold their wares there, but also I'm sure were a big part of their your neighborhood communities. So, you know, it does take initiative and it takes people to plan and it takes people to get together and do it. Um, but yeah, I, I would think it'd be really worth it. Well, I wanna say my most profound gratitude. Thank you both for you. Um, sharing some time with me and talking about food and, and its experience. And I miss you both so much. And I know, yeah. come to the beach. Love yeah, to have come you. visit. <laughs> I am right about January. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I am going to be working on that little idea. Yeah. And, uh, if I come Good. solo, I come solo. That could be. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. That's fine um, too. We'd love to have Stephen now. But I, I, I'll, I'll bring him down too. Um, yeah. So thank you, and uh, thank you everyone for listening to food. And we'll be back again soon. I know it. Um, be well. Have a Be great, well. have a great Thank day. Thank you. Smell your Bye. food.